0: First Samuel Chapter eight, please. First Samuel eight. First Samuel eight. I do want to apologize for uh, those who are reading along with us, which is a I encourage you to do um, The bulletin I didn't quite accurately portray uh, The amount of chapters we would be covering so I apologize for that um, But we're going to be going through 8 through 15 So that's, that's what we'll be doing We'll be going through the whole rise and fall of Israel's kingdom In the next few months We're going to see a king, the barren king Who did not let the word of God Dwell in him richly So let's go When we open First Samuel, you might remember that there was a woman who was praying for a child because she had been barren. So First Samuel opens kind of the way Judges ends, very gross, a lot of chaos and the chaos of judges seeped into first samuel and it opens the same way with a woman who's barren in a land that's barren of the voice of god in a priesthood that's barren of any morality and a woman who doesn't have a child she's praying to god for a child god hears her prayer and gives her samuel who becomes a prophet meaning he's the one who carries the word and voice of god to the people of israel and now the land is becoming more fruitful This woman has a child. The priesthood will be eventually, in the next king, restored. And the word of God is now moving throughout the land. Prayer turned a barren situation into a fruitful situation. Prayer brought an absence of God's speaking, powerful, working word and voice into the scene. Prayer was a transition. A woman who decided to pour her heart out. Well, we come now to a king... Israel gets their first king. And this king is a barren king. So the theme of barrenness continues in this book of Samuel. This king is barren of any of God's word in his own life. And this is what you need to see up front, is that he is barren because on the surface, King Saul, his his, his name, the first king King Saul, he looks like he has it all together. He looks like the promising leader. He is of all the people you look out. That's the guy who looks like he's strong. He's got it together. He's attractive. He's got a, a powerful speaking voice. People are drawn to him. He's a great listener. He's funny. He knows what to do in every single situation. In crisis, he's calm, cool, collected. He's directing people. He can budget a balance or balance a budget. You know, all those things. He can do everything. King Saul was that guy. He had it all together. He had what we would call charisma, this magnetic attraction that people looked at him and said, I want to be his friend. And I don't know how many friends you have on Facebook, but he would have had 5,000 more than you or I. That's the kind of guy that King Saul is, looked put together on the outside, but within, the charisma lacked a character. He was a husk without any grain. He was a shell without any seed. There was no substance to this man. And we, we need to realize is that there is barrenness in the world where on the surface it looks like there's something there, but when you look at it, there's nothing inside. You've all experienced the disappointment of this when you open the pantry in your kitchen and yes, we have lucky charms. <laughs> And you open the box You pick up the box and find out it's a lot lighter Than it should be And you shake it and there's like one or two little pieces of cereal Rattling around and then your immediate thought Is who puts an empty box Back in the pantry And you're upset and disappointed And it, you know, you're know you not probably a Lucky Charms person um, Maybe it's ice cream You open the freezer There's two bites Who leaves two bites This is torture for the person that finds it It's like enough to get your appetite going, and then it's gone. There's nothing you can do, and you're licking the lid, and everything going through freezer burn. You're like, I just need some more. (laughs) We all know what that's like to see something looks promising, but then to find out it's barren, it's empty, there's no substance. That's King Saul. That's other events and people and situations in life. And the question we need to ask is: "Is That you? (laughs) Is that me? Are we just a lot of show with no substance? And so you might be kind of confused. Did God want Israel to have a king or not? The answer simply is, eh, both? (laughs) It seems on one hand, he wanted to be their king. But on the other hand, he was okay being their king through a human representative. But the problem, I would say the solution here, is that the problem is that the human representatives often didn't let Yahweh be king. They didn't let God be king. They took the reins and put God behind them. And perhaps that's the problem. And of course, that is what Saul is going to do. So they want a king like all the other nations. I want you now to go to chapter 13, verse 14, because I want to show you what they request versus what God wanted. Now, as we'll get in a minute, Saul will be rejected by God as king. And this is what he says. 13 verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. God's speaking through Samuel to Saul. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people. Okay, what do the people ask for? We just saw in chapter 8. Give us a king like all the other nations. That's what the people say. What does God say about the kingship? I'm going to search for a prince who will be a man after my own heart. The people want a king who's like all the other nations. God wanted a prince who is after his own heart. What a difference. And notice also the, the terming prince, because a prince, while royalty, while authority to rule, is still not the top dog. A prince is underneath the king. And that's what God wanted. And of course, he's going to get that in King David, as we'll see next week. But now let's look, if you will, at Saul, the barren king. Barren because there's no substance, there's no weight, there's no character of God in him. Just a lot of charisma, hoopla, and ooh, wow, so that the other nations can say, ooh, Israel, somebody. Alright, so let's go through this. So, chapter 9, Saul is chosen to be king. Chapter 9, verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. The son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekeroth, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Right there. That's what we want. We want a man of wealth ruling us. So Saul's born to wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller. He was Gebohach than any of the people. And now Saul goes on a wild goose chase for his father's donkeys. And he's looking for them throughout the land. And as he's searching for the donkeys, he coincidentally runs into the prophet Samuel. Samuel invites him to a feast to God. They worship. The next morning before Saul leaves, Samuel says, I have a message for you from God. And can you imagine what you would be thinking if a prophet did this to you so chapter 10 verse 1 samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on saul's head and kissed him and said has not yahweh anointed you to be prince over his people israel now after the oil was dripping down my face And I got a kiss from a prophet I would then try to process that question He has me prints over his people And you shall reign over them, over the people of Yahweh, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And you can see Saul is going. This is too much to take in. He's still going over the fact. Wait, I'm going to be a what over the people of Israel? <laughs> and now with all these details. This is what's going to happen to you in the next day. Take notes, Saul. And so all these things are going to happen to him to be a sign to Saul that this was not some kooky prophet. This was the word of God coming to him. And Saul needs to take this calling seriously. Chapter 10 verse 6. Then the spirit of Yahweh will rush upon you, Saul. You will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. That last part must have been so comforting. Thank you for giving me some guidance because I don't know what to do. You're suddenly making me king of this people. How do they know I'm going to be king? How am I supposed to do this? What's the first thing I'm supposed to do? Taxes. That's not popular, but we need, some, we need an army. The Philistines are fighting us. We don't even have weapons of war because the Philistines will not allow us to have copper. The Philistines had a monopoly on copper. Like Israel had no way to make weapons other than farming tools. This was really bad for them. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Things start off well. I need you guys to understand something. The barren king, the crazy king Saul in our lives, those people are not going to be so obvious. Oh, there's a villain. Stay away. They're going to be people who have enough good going on in their life, enough religion in their life, that you're like, they're decent chaps. And it's only further down the road. It's only when you get to know them longer that you begin to realize There is nothing here. They're fake. They've been misleading me and beguiling me this whole time. We need to be careful not to over caricature Saul into something so villainized that it doesn't even relate to real life. People, real people, the hardest ones to identify as phonies are the ones that have a little bit of reality to them. Saul starts off all right. Now, interestingly, um, when he gets home, he doesn't even tell his dad about being anointed king. Saul's probably not ready for this, and the people probably asked for a king too early. Now, Samuel called, this is chapter 10, verse 17. Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel. I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I have delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses and have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Now, Lot's are when you cast dice, and it kind of singles out choices. Um, The Jews, somehow God spoke to them through these casting of dice. And so Benjamin's tribe was selected. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired again of Yahweh, is there a man still to come? And Yahweh said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that like, was supposed to imply in Hebrew, but I can't help but think the American phrase of baggage, like here is a bad sign. You've got a king who's carrying a lot of baggage into the kingdom. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, you could hear the oohs and ahs. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward, and even Samuel's impressed. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? Samuel takes an Instagram selfie with Saul, you know, all the, all the works, this is big news, whom, do you see him whom Yahweh has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted their approval. Long live the king! Well, soon they wouldn't be shouting that. All right. Chapter 11. We're going to see this king rise to action. Um then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash make a treaty with us and we will serve you so this is an enemy that's surrounding an Israelite city and they're saying hey hey give us a chance okay we're going to send messengers to find deliverance and Nahash the Ammonite the general here is so confident he's going to win this battle he's like fine I'll give you a few days to find deliverance ha, we'll still squash you now, the news came to Saul while he was with his oxen in verse 5. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the man at Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yawk of oxen He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of Yahweh fell upon the people and they came out as one man. So Saul raises an army in this way, threatening them and they come and they deliver the people of Jabesh. A mighty victory. And Israel's going, oh my goodness. We not only have this most amazing, good-looking, strong, significant, majestic, charismatic, Gevoha king, but now he delivered us in our first battle. This is great news. So in eager excitement, they regathered together and confirmed that this is indeed our king. We want him. So in 11 verse 12, Then the people said to Samuel, So after all this merry celebration, they have this issue. So they ask Samuel, what, Uh, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. So when Saul was first crowned and the people said, long live the king. At the end of chapter 10, there were some people who said, well, we're not going to serve him. Saul held his peace. Saul didn't do anything about it. Now that there's a victory and it's very clear that Saul's not a man to be on the wrong side of, the people come to Samuel and say, where were those complainers who weren't going to support Saul? Bring them out that we can kill them. Now watch what happens. Samuel, they came to Samuel and said, what should we do? Verse 13 says, but Saul said, he answers on behalf of Samuel, not a man shall be put to death this day for Today, Yahweh has worked salvation in Israel. Okay. May not seem like a big deal, but it's going to become a very big deal. What Saul does here is in this magnificent moment. The stage is high. People are cheering and celebrating. And because they're used to going to Samuel for advice, they ask Samuel, what should we do with these men? Saul sees his moment and steps in between the people and Samuel the prophet and says, I have the answer. Look to me for the answer. This is what we would say is upstaging. King Saul is upstaging prophet Samuel. Now, to upstage comes from theater and stage. It's, it's, so downstage is right here, where the stage is closest to the audience. That's downstage. It's where you're visible. It's where you're seen. To be upstage is to be as far back as you can, where the drummer is usually hidden. That was a joke. <laughs> right, Mike? <laughs> uh, okay. Anyways, that's downstage. Or upstage, I mean. That's upstage over there. This is downstage over here. So when you upstage somebody, you're actually moving them toward the back so that they can't be seen. You're putting yourself in front of them. Saul is upstaging Samuel. Get back, old man. It's not the prophet's rule anymore. It's the king's rule. And he steps in. Now, nothing comes out from it. Samuel, gives he sees what's happening, gives his farewell address in chapter 12 in which he gives their history and how they should live and says, I'm going to pray for you guys always. But then in chapter 13, it starts... Saul has to keep upstaging the prophet. So we're going to see this happen a second time. So the Philistines in chapter 13 are coming in to attack Israel and they have more chariots than Israel has soldiers. Okay, and battle terminology is really bad news. It means they have more technology than you have and their technology outnumbers your people. So it's really bad. And Israel, of course, is terrified. They don't like the signs of this battle. Now, Samuel and Saul, Samuel and Saul had worked out. Wait for me. I will come then start the battle. So, because Samuel is going to offer sacrifices so that Yahweh would be with them in the battle. But Samuel doesn't meet the time he said he would come. And Saul is waiting for Samuel. And day goes by day, and people are beginning to leave the army. They're starting to desert. They're hiding in the hills, and they're running away. And Saul's looking around going, I'm losing my army. What am I supposed to do? Samuel hasn't shown up. So, look at 13 verse 8. Saul waited the seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. I'll just do it myself. He rolls up his royal robe up to the elbows, and he gets ready to go. And he offered the burnt offering as soon as he had finished. Of course, right? As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold... Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him kind of preempt the whole situation and greet him and Samuel said what have you done and Saul said "Uh, uh, well when I saw that the people are scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed your fault by the way and that the Philistines had mustered at Gilgash I said now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of Yahweh so I forced myself Oops! So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God, with which he commanded you. For then Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. What? If you had only obeyed Saul, your sons, your lineage would have ruled over Israel forever. But... Now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. Boom. Saul, second time, upstages Samuel. Well, the prophet isn't here to help lead us into battle with sacrifices and worship. I'll do it myself. Bye, Samuel. I'll do it. Well, Samuel comes and realizes he's been upstaged and God's not happy. And now Saul's dynasty will come to an end. Your son will not be king over Israel. Speaking of that son, look what happens next. Chapter 14. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about six hundred men, including Abijah the son of tub, and Ichabod's brother, and the son of Phineah, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bezes and the name of the other was Senech. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other, and if you're confused, it's okay, and the other on the south in front of Giba. All the author, assuming you were an Israelite and you know the land, you would say, oh yeah, this is a great strategic place for Jonathan. That's all he would say. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that Yahweh will work for us, for nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving by many or by few. Now remember... The Philistines had invaded, and they have a large army, more chariots than Saul's people. Saul has already lost some of his dissenters from the army. They've been running away. Saul doesn't know what to do. The people are terrified. Jonathan is, um, I, re- I remember vividly Chuck Smith teaching this once and saying, I just wonder what Jonathan was doing, probably looking up the stars with his, with his armor bearing going, the God who made these stars can do anything. Let's see what he can do for our army. So Jonathan, while Saul's a coward, Jonathan rises up in faith and says, let's just go attack him. Let's see what happens. And they do. Jonathan and his single armor bearer go into the Philistine army and so confuse them that the entire army's on the run. And, S- and Jonathan, Saul's son, is pursuing them. They blow the horn and Saul goes, what? What's happening? And the whole army goes after them. And there's a great victory. Well, almost. The people are on the run. The Philistines are on the run. The Israelites are chasing them down to finish them off. And sometimes the wars took a few days to finish off. Because the army's on the run. You want to go finish them off. So they're in pursuit. Israel's got the upper hand. And Saul is holding in his hand, or his heart, a grudge against his son, Jonathan. Because Israel is now celebrating who? Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay. So... Saul makes a rash vow Always confused me Until I studied this week for this And I thought this is a really good interpretation So one interpreter suggests That what Saul plans next Is to stage his son's disobedience So that he could kill him So what happens? 14.24 14.24 The men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Well, that's real good kingship of you. Your people are starving. They're burning more calories than they're eating, chasing the armies, and you say, We got to get them, so don't eat food see this is not his best interest is not in the army here he's staging something to get his son killed because he knows Jonathan's probably in the royal tents and did not hear his announcement to the common people oh Saul made sure Jonathan didn't hear this so guess what happens while they're in pursuit Jonathan sees honey he puts his staff into the honey and eats it and says I feel so much better now I have energy and then someone next to Jonathan says did you really just eat honey oh no Didn't you know your father's command, his oath, that whoever eats shall die? Jonathan said, pfft, my father's a fool. Well, guess what happens? Saul's praying to Yahweh. What should we do with the enemy? Yahweh doesn't answer. Saul realizes, ah, it's because someone broke my oath. This manipulative king. He's really good at what he's doing. So what he does is he calls the army together and he says, somebody broke my oath. And we're going to find out who. So, Saul takes his son Jonathan on one side and the rest of the army on the other side. All right, God, which one of us is it? They roll the lot. The lot falls not on the army, but on Saul and Jonathan. Of course Saul knows this, and he knows it's not him. So now Saul says, all right, between me and Jonathan, who was it? And the lot says, Jonathan. And now Saul has his opportunity. Look, army, he broke my oath. He's the reason that God isn't speaking to us right now. And what Saul thought would happen is that everyone would say, yeah, he deserves to die and kill him. And then Saul would be rid of a son who's more competent than he is. But instead, the people say, you're crazy. Saul, you're mad. Jonathan has worked a great deliverance. We cannot kill him. And so Jonathan lives. However, what I want you to see is that Saul upstages Samuel once. No consequences at first. He upstages Samuel a second time. Saul loses his dynasty. So now he thinks, I don't need my son anymore. And as long as he's more popular than me, I can get rid of him. So Saul's selfishness in putting the word of God behind him is now showing, is turning him into a mad person. He wants to kill his own son. Now he's going to upstage Samuel one more time. Chapter 15. And Samuel said to Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, incredibly brutal by our standards today. This was very common in ancient societies. Um, But what you need to see is that Yahweh commands nothing survives. Okay, pretty simple, right? The Amalekites were Israel's first enemy when they came out of Egypt. Get rid of them. Pretty easy task Saul has. Well, guess what happens? Look down at verse 7, 15 verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east in Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Oops. Didn't destroy him. And devoted to destruction all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep of the oxen and of the fat and calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Uh oh. Okay. This is really simple. So let's just make this simple. Samuel, the word of God said, do this. Saul says, okay, I'll do most of it. <laughs> because look, soldiers liked their reward for their, risking their lives for their king. That's why kings would often let them take the spoils and plunder the villages. It was their reward for risking their lives. What kind of a king would I look like, Saul thinks, if I prohibit my soldiers from getting the spoils of war? I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Let's, let's spare the best. And then we'll say it's for offerings to God. Surely Samuel and God will be okay with that. So what does Saul do? Samuel isn't going to make me look good. I'm going to upstage him, the word of God, one more time. Well, this proves to be fatal. So the word of the Lord, this is verse 10. The word of Yahweh came to Samuel I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to Yahweh all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Oh, yeah, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. What? Yeah, I did this. Monument for Saul. Yeah, awesome. Hashtag best King Israel's ever had. Everyone's going to follow me on Instagram now. So, Saul is completely going nuts, right? He's completely into his image by this point. He's upstaged the prophet, the word of God, three times now. Um Well... Samuel, in verse 13, came to Saul, finally catches up, and Saul said to him, Hey, blessed be you to Yahweh. I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Oh, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. And the rest have devoted them to destruction. Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will will tell you what Yahweh said to me this night. And Saul's probably a little more sober now. Oh, this is bad. Okay, speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, and I, I have to assume this is sarcasm, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel, and, the, and Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners the Malachites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on the mission by which Yahweh sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice them to Yahweh, your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said... Now, when the Bible goes into poetry mode, you know these are serious prophetic words. And so, at least in the ESV, it starts to break into poetic prose here. (laughs) Samuel said, Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. Boom. Boom. He upstages the word of God once, no consequences. Upstages the word of God the second time, doing the sacrifice on Samuel's behalf, and then he goes crazy and wants to kill his son, and he loses his dynasty. This third time, now he loses the rightful rule of king. God says, I no longer see you as king. He's now going to go search for a new one. Um, now, Saul just continues to amaze me. He just keeps pleading. No, please, 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 please. I did this because I feared the people. That doesn't make it any better. You're the king. Um, and then he starts pleading with him to don't abandon me. This will make me look bad in front of everybody. It will make everybody know God's not with me anymore. Please stay with me, Samuel. Saul's so concerned about what everybody thinks of him. And as Samuel turned, verse 27, turned to go away, Saul sees the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel... Just I could see him just so casually looking at his torn robe eh. It just turns and says Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day And has given it to a neighbor of yours Who is better than you And also the glory of Israel Will not lie or have regret For he is not a man that he should have regret So basically like Saul you're done You're in the dust man God's moving on And he's not even going to think about you again And And Saul says in verse 30 I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may now bow before Yahweh your God. So Samuel did him this pleasure. Um, Then Samuel had to finish the job and he hacked Agag to pieces. But so, so we see the tragic fall of King Saul. And I hope you recognize some of the echoes in the Garden of Eden here that Adam and Eve were commissioned to have dominion. They were like kings under God over the creation. So is Saul. But they choose to do things their way. Saul, not listening to the word God, they do things their way, eat from the tree of knowledge. Saul does the same thing. He does things his way, rejects the word of God. And then, and then, God comes to Adam and Eve and says, hey, where are you? And like, oh, we we're hiding because we knew we were naked. And then God goes, who told you you were naked? Oh, have you eaten from the tree? I told you not to eat. And then they answer, What? Oh, Adam says, the woman! And then the woman goes, what? The snake! And the snake goes, yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, over here, Samuel, representing God, comes to Saul and says, what is the bleeding of all the sheep I hear? <gasps> you haven't obeyed God. And what does Saul say? The people! Just like Adam and Eve, confronted with their sin, given an opportunity to confess and make things right, instead they reject responsibility and say, it's their fault! Saul does that here, and I wouldn't be surprised if he would have been restored to a rightful and good place of kingship had he admitted he was fully responsible for what had happened. But instead, he shows his inability to rule because he can't even rule his own decisions, and he blames it on the other people, and now he's rejected. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters, when we upstage the prophet, the Word of God. Samuel represents, he's the embodied, the enfleshed Word of God before Israel. Jesus was that too. Now we may not have official prophets in our day and age, but we do have the word of God here in a book for us. And and we will lose our right to be rulers in God's world if we continually upstage the prophet. Say, Yeah, 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 but I don't want to be underneath this. I want to put this upstage, and I will be here. I will do what I want to do. Saul has it all together on the outside. Everybody saw him and wanted to serve him. He was a true vision. If there was a picture of a king in the dictionary, Israel would look up, there's Saul's face. Like He was kingly in everything about him physically. But inside he was a hollow husk. A shell with no fruit. Like Jesus, remember? When he comes to the temple and he sees the fig tree and he comes up to it but the fig tree has no figs even though it was seasoned for figs and he curses it and it became a symbol of what was happening in the temple. The temple looks like it's religious and like they're worshiping God and the priests are singing the praises and they're offering the offerings but inside the spirit is gone. It's a husk. It's a shell. It's empty inside. And so what does he say in Matthew 23? He talks to the scribes and Pharisees and he begins to rail on them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you men, you, you tithe mint dill and cumin but forget the weightier matters the more substantial matters of the law like justice mercy and forgiveness faithfulness woe to you scribes and pharisees for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but the inside is filthy full of greediness and selfishness woe to you scribes and pharisees for you are like whitewashed tombs on the outside you look beautiful but inside you are full of death and dead men's bones The Pharisees were called hypocrites because they had the outer act together, but there was no substance within the charismatic role of religious leaders, but no character of their God within. Saul had the same, and because he kept pushing the word of God back, upstaging Samuel the prophet, he began to wither from the inside out. And if I see something in here for us, you know, you may not be King Saul, but you are King you. (laughs) It's to understand that you cannot afford to refuse to listen to the word of God. We are encouraged to heed the prophet. Samuel comes in Saul's life over and over to remind him that there is a true king and his name's Yahweh. It is not you, Saul. Remember in the beginning you're to be prince over the people because Yahweh is still the king. But Saul continues to choose, no he's not, I'm the king. Look how the people love me. And continues to do whatever he can to keep those reminders of Yahweh away. So Samuel keeps getting upstaged and Saul is being downstaged in front of everybody. We need to heed the prophet. We need to. Where did see? I upstaged it. We need to. We need to heed God's word and allow it to speak. But it's so easy, right? Because sometimes it speaks. I'm like, "Ah, I don't like that you're exposing the fact that I'm empty inside. Go away. Don't tell me about that. It's the people's fault. It's this situation's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's our government's fault. It's everybody's fault. But. But the word of God will sometimes have to call us to look within and say, oh, I am barren and I need to be filled and I need to be restructured and I need to grow the fruits of God in my life. See, the prophet, the prophet keeps God downstage. It keeps God in front of us. It keeps us upstage. That's the proper role in life. And that's where people who have true substance, people who have true character, that's where they come from. It's a place of understanding that I am like a tree that needs to be planted in the word of God. And I will bear my fruit in its season and my leaves will not wither. Because as soon as I uproot myself and put myself on the other side... I will wither and rot, and I will be like the psalm said, the psalm chapter one, I will be like the chaff, the little husk, the shell that is over the grain that has no weight and substance, and the wind drives it off. Oh, There it goes. But the word of God gives me substance. It makes me real. It makes me solid. It makes me thick. It gives me weight. It gives me truth. And so the prophet Samuel, if we keep him in our lives, he reminds us these things. Pray. Pray, pray. Because prayer from a woman who poured out her soul before God was filled with the Spirit of God and was filled with the baby who carried the Word of God. The Word of God is birthed in our lives and in our world when we pray. It reminds us, the prophet reminds us that there's a script And the script is called scripture. And if we stick with the script, then you will become a character in this drama. But those who break off of the script are no longer characters in the drama. The people who have character and substance in their lives are the people who go with the script. They allow the word of God to have some say in their lives. They put God downstage because this has become their guide. And finally... If we keep the prophet in our life, it will teach us meekness. And meekness is the secret. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That means you rule, you own, you are a king. The meek inherit the earth. But Saul was not meek. What meekness is, or gentleness, or humility, is it's the ability to keep your strength within. To not have to always show it off and use it. It's an inner strength. But Saul, see, every chance he got, he's like, nope, look at me, I'm awesome. Nope, I delivered you. Nope, I'm awesome. No, nope, don't listen to Samuel. He's pushing his greatness out everywhere he goes. And when we continue to shove our strength outward, it leaves an enormous vacuum within. And the meek who inherit the earth are those that are able to keep their strength, their inner strength, and not to show it off and throw it out like candy on Halloween, but keep it and say, there will be a time when this will be needed, not to make me look good, but to help others. That's what meekness looks like. And Jesus said the meek inherit the earth. And that's what the word of God and that's what keeping the word of God in our lives and around us and the prophet speaking to us. That's what it does is it keeps our strength collected. And so we have a choice don't we? To either go the route of Gevoha. Or to let Samuel lead us, to let the word of God speak when we need to rule, when we need to let him do the work, when we need to wait and and wait and wait for the word to speak, and when we need to completely fulfill what it's asked us to do, and when we don't. And all of these, Saul would have been in a better place if he had guidance, but he upstaged it, and you and I would be much better off if we kept this in its proper place. So, Jesus, you...